As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and this is Wednesday Night. And this week, we're talking about staying on the stage of faith. And we want you to have the free study guide that goes with it. It's free. Get everything free you can get in life. Just go to renner.org. You can download it right now. It's five parts. It comes with many Greek points, the principles. It's all right here. It's really like we set the banquet table for you. All you have to do is pull up a chair, grab your fork, your spoon, your knife, dig in and eat. It's all right here. It's a banquet and it's free. And while you're there on our website, go ahead and order the whole series called The Stage of Faith. And by the way, all the introductions were filmed in the great Yusupov Palace. And guys, in today's program, hi, Denise. Hey, Maxine. Hi, Rick. In today's program, we finally get into the home theater of the Yusupov Palace. Well, today, when people hear about a home theater, what do they think about? They think that it's nice, comfortable chairs with a movie screen. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a home theater that seated 185 people. It had three balconies. It was gold gilded. It is magnificent. When you see that on these programs, you're going to say, unbelievable. The Yusopa family was either the first or the second richest family in all of Russia during their lifetime. And they had an in-home theater. And do you know why they had a theater in their house? Because they were considered to be nobility. They were royal. And royals were not allowed to perform on a public stage. But the Yusopa family was very talented. And they wanted to perform. And since they couldn't perform publicly, they made their own stage. And I kind of like that because sometimes in life we make our own stages. When we get a word from God, we make our own stage. Wow. And you know what? Last night, just as we ended home group, we were talking about that in life, there's different kinds of stages. Nobody steps onto a big, big, big stage for the first time. You have to start with a smaller stage. You know, Denise, you were trained to be a professional opera singer. You didn't start on a big stage. Where did you start? Well, I started with my teacher, and I started with um, little little rooms where I sang in front of other students. That was a stage. That was a stage. And then I would have a contest, and that was another stage. And then I'd give a recital, and that was another stage. And and I maybe would sing at church, and that's another stage. Or or maybe I would sing, <laughs> sing in a um, concert. Concert, or maybe a an old folks home anywhere that I could sing. That's where I sang because I was wanting to use what I had. And finally, you ended up on the stage of the New York City Opera and the Metropolitan Opera in New York where you were auditioning. I mean, really, really big stages. That was a big stage. But nobody just goes from their home to that stage. No. You have to do well at the stage you're on, and that's the way it is in life. There were a lot of stages before the Metropolitan Opera. It's like when I begin to teach the Bible. (laughs) I started on a very small stage in our university church. Yes. But I took that stage so serious. Yes. And you know what? Everybody didn't like me. I actually had one person stand up publicly and tell me to shut up and sit down. I'll never forget that. That's okay. Sometimes that just goes along with being on the stage. 
that we were faithful. God opened another door and another door and every stage got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You have to start where you are. And you know what? If it's the first time you've ever done anything, the smallest opportunity feels enormous. You're nervous. People are listening to you. You're probably wondering what people think. You know that people are watching. People are listening. Even a small stage feels enormous when you're starting. But get on that stage. If God has told you to do something, do it. But it will put you on the stage of faith. That's why you need this series. It's going to really strengthen you or somebody that you know and love. And we're also offering you right now my brand new book, brand new, brand, brand new, just released last week called Build Your Foundation, Six Must-Have Beliefs for Constructing an Unshakable Christian Life. Notice it says constructing. An unshakable Christian life has to be constructed. It doesn't happen accidentally. You construct your life to be unshakable. And this book will help you to construct an unshakable Christian life. But remember also that if you need prayer, reach out to us. Send us your email or give us a call. We will really go to work praying with you and God really will respond. He'll move in your life. But Maxime, welcome to the program. I'm thankful to be here. And I said it last time, but this word is just burning in my heart. God wants to do something in your life, not day after tomorrow, not even tomorrow. He wants to do something in your life right now. He wants to do something in your life through this home group. You know, Maxime, often before home group, you say, well, English is not my first language. You know, please thank you for having me, even though my English is not so good. Maxime, your English is fabulous. Thank you. And people respond. I read the comments every morning, every day. Somebody expresses how glad they are that you're on home. Thank you so very much. Thank you. And Denise, welcome to Home Group. Thank you, Rick. And Home Group, we're so glad that you're with us today. This is another opportunity for us to be together, study the Word of God, for our faith to grow, and to, to be together. Well, let's go back to our foundation verse for the series, which is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. It says, Call to remembrance the former days, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. And we saw that word illuminated is a translation of the Greek word fotidzo. It's where we get the word for a photo or a photograph. And really the word illuminated fotidzo describes a brilliant flash of light that leaves a permanent and lasting impression. When you see something and you're never the same again, you hear something, it totally transforms your life. You can never be the way that you were before. It is a brilliant flash of light that leaves a permanent and lasting impression. Well, if God has ever spoken to you and told you what you're to do with your life, that was a fotidzo moment. It was like somebody turned the light on. Mm -hmm. Wow. But when you become illuminated, the devil doesn't stand by nearby and say, wonderful, I'm so glad they had an illumination. He hates it. Because he knows the moment you're illuminated, God's going to begin doing things through you. And therefore, a fight usually follows illumination. And that's why the rest of this verse says, after you were illuminated, look at it, verse 32, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. And the word endured, as we saw the night before last, 
is the Greek word hupomeno. Listen to what it means. It means to stay or to abide, to remain in your spot. You have to determine, I'm not moving. To keep a position. To resolve to maintain the territory you have gained. Just because you've gained it doesn't mean you can keep it. You've got to resolve you're going to maintain what you've gained. In a military sense, it pictures soldiers ordered to maintain their positions even in the face of opposition. It means you're going to face opposition. It means, and this is my favorite, to defiantly stick it out regardless of the pressures mounted against it or it is staying power, hang in their power, the attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, and hangs in there, never giving up and refusing to surrender to opportunities and turning down every opportunity to quit. Which means you're going to have opportunities to quit. Those are opportunities that you just need to let pass by you. And the verse says, huh, you endured a great fight of afflictions. The word great is the word Poland, which in this particular case doesn't really refer to the size of the attack, but to the number of the attacks. It's many, many attacks, which means if one doesn't work, the devil will bring another one. The devil will bring another one. The devil will bring another one. And the Bible says it was a great fight of afflictions. And the word fight is the word athlesis. Maxine, what does athlesis mean? Athlesis is connected to sport, fight, physical fight. It's an athletic term, and the word can be used to describe a heroic act. It takes a real heroic attitude to overcome. And the word afflictions, I think this is so important, is the word pathema. The word pathema describes pathos. It can describe mental suffering, mental agony. And I just want to tell you something, and Denise, Maxine, we all know this is true. You know it's true. The greatest suffering that a person endures is not what he feels in his body. It's what he goes through in his head. Mental. People are tortured mentally. People worry about what others think mentally. But if you can win the battle in your head, you can win any other battle. If you can win the battle in your emotions, you can win every other battle. And here the writer of Hebrews says, the greatest thing you faced was a fight of afflictions. It's what you endured emotionally, emotionally. And then he explains what he means in verse 33. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. And we saw the word gazing stock is the Greek word theatrizo, which is the word for a theater. You were made a theater. Now, Okay, so you get a word from God. You say, amen, Lord, I'm going to do it. Suddenly you become a theater. You become a spectacle. It's quite a deal when somebody says God spoke to them. I think about Noah. When Noah said God spoke to him, can you imagine what a theater he became for the world of his time? Can you imagine the Noah jokes that must have been told. And you know what? I bet they were really funny jokes. People scorning them, laughing at them, sneering at them. 
as year by year by year by year, Noah and his family using all their money to employ all those people to go get all that wood, all those animals, and build and build and build and build for a flood that no one's ever heard of before, for rain that nobody's ever seen before. I mean, his act of obedience was heroic because it really put him on a stage. And mentally, they had to deal with a lot of abuse from people. That's just the way it goes with a word from God. Denise, I think about Brother Oral Roberts. You know, I grew up in Tulsa. Oral was an Indian from Oklahoma, and at that time, they were considered to be kind of outcasts. Back in those days, they were treated like they were second-class citizens. That was wrong. And Oral got a word from God. Ended up building a university, impacting the world. But I grew up in Tulsa. I remember all the Oral Roberts jokes. Oh, they were awful. My pastor told Oral Roberts jokes from the pulpit. I remember him saying, don't ever go golfing with Oral Roberts because all the holes in the golf course heal up. I mean, people just hoot and holler laughing at Oral Roberts jokes. He suffered the brunt of all of that. Or how about Kenneth Hagin? Just received a simple word from God, go teach my people faith. What he had to put up with in his life to obey that word from God. And there are so many examples of this. I mean, it's just numbers, vast numbers of people who got a word from God and they ended up on a stage. And they had to endure a great fight of afflictions. They had to deal with a lot in their head to do what God told them to do. And the next verse says again, they were made a theater, a theater. And then he adds, both by reproaches and afflictions. Well, what is a reproach and what is an affliction? What's the difference between these two things? A reproach is what people do. An affliction is what life does. It's the equivalent of saying, we've had to put up with a lot of flack from people and deal with life too. The word reproaches, whew, the Greek word means insults, language intended to injure, harm, hurt, or damage. Words that damage one's reputation, to be verbally abused, pictures what people do to others. Isn't it amazing how mean people can be? especially if they're religious. Religious people can just be mean as the devil. Now you would think that when you declare you're going to do something by faith, people would say, oh, we're going to pray for you. But Paul says, that's, I mean, the writer of Hebrews says, that's not what they did. They insulted us. They tried to injure us, harm our reputation. Unbelievable the things we have endured from people. Isn't that amazing, Denise? Well, because the devil works through people. He, God works through people and the devil works through people. And the devil works to try to discourage and stop and kill the dream. And we don't want to be those kind of people. We want to be the encouragers. We want to say, you need encouragement? I'm here. We want to be the opposite of what the devil does. We want to say, you can do it. I'm with you. You know what? If anybody can do that. You can do that. That's, an, that's another reason why you need to be surrounded with good people. 
Mm-hmm. You know, anytime that Denise and I have launched out by faith and declared we're going to do something, I know that we're going to take some flack. So we already always insulate ourselves with people, first of all, who will tell the truth to us. And if they all believe that we're on track, then we lean on these people for encouragement. We're, we're careful about whose words influence us. You need to be careful who you listen to because people say all kinds of stuff. Make sure you're listening to people that will support what God has told you to do. But reproaches is something done by people. Can I say something right there, Rick? When God tells you something, you have to remember that he told you. He didn't tell somebody. That's right. And you might want somebody else to be an encouragement to That's you right. or support you, and they don't. And you you can't you can't stop because of their opinion or what they're not doing because it was God that told you to do it, not them. And they're trying to do what God's told them to do. They're involved in what they're doing, and we can't just look at people and say, well. You never encourage me. You never, you never give me a compliment. You never, you never don't do that because there's a a lot of you nevers. You got to say, God told me to do this. And honey, a lot of people that are negative think that they're being helpful. They're trying to talk common sense into you. It's like some of the things that I've done. I've had people say, Rick, are you really sure about this? They're trying to help me. And like you said, I'm the one that heard from the Lord, not them. Yeah. Anyway, reproaches is what is done by people, but afflictions, which is in this verse, describes what life does. And the word afflictions means tribulation, trouble, great pressure, crushing pressure, suffocating pressure, a horribly tight, life-threatening squeeze, to suffocate. It can be translated to bully. It describes the brunt of society, the pressure to conform, a horribly tight, life-threatening squeeze, a situation so difficult it causes one to feel stressed, squeezed, pressured, or even crushed. And if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, the Apostle Paul describes how he and his team experience this thalipsis, this crushing pressure. Listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble. I just love that because Paul didn't always paint a rosy picture. He told the truth, and it encourages the rest of us. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, and the Greek adds something that is not in the King James Version. It says weighed down insomuch that we despaired even of life. The word trouble, we would not have you to be ignorant of our trouble. That word trouble is the same word, philipsis, translated affliction in Hebrews chapter 10. Our life-threatening squeeze that causes one to feel stressed, squeezed, pressured, or even crushed, which means Paul wasn't having a little trouble. He was really nearly crushed by whatever they were facing. He says, it's what happened to us when we were in Asia. Then he adds that we were pressed out of measure. The Greek word, hooperbalo, ay, ay, ay. Something that is above and beyond what is normal. It's the equivalent to saying what we went through is above and beyond anything I've ever heard anybody's ever been through. (laughs) Exceeding or surpassing. It pictures an archer 
who aims his arrow at the bullseye but shoots way over the top so it depicts something beyond the range of anything considered normal, something unparalleled. So in this verse, Paul says what we went through is beyond anything considered normal, unparalleled pressure. Then he says above strength. Above strength means above our ability to endure. And the Greek adds the word bereo, which means weighed down. Why in the world is that not in the King James Version? I don't know, but it's in the Greek text. It means to weigh down, to overload. It's from the word baros, which depicts a weight that is heavy or crushing, a crushing weight. It can refer to physical problems, circumstantial problems or spiritual problems, but it was a burden too heavy to carry alone. If one attempts to carry it alone, it would be crushing to bear. But he was not alone. He was with a team. And again, we find the importance of being with a team when God's called you to do something. He was with a team and they were supporting each other. But even with all their support, they were lending to each other. He says, we despaired even of life. The Greek word exapereomai. It means we were exasperated. We came to the end of ourselves. It depicts one who feels that he has no way out. Hmm. These are strong words. This is a man of faith speaking. No way out. In a predicament that feels inescapable. It describes one who feels trapped, caught up against a wall, pinned down, and utterly hopeless. And in fact, they felt so trapped that in verse 9, he said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. Verse 10, here was their revelation, who delivered us from so great a death. They needed a resurrection, so that's what they got. If you need a resurrection, that's what you'll get. But listen to the RIV of verses 8 through 9. Are you guys ready? Rick, can I share one thing right there? Sure. These trials... The devil means for them to break us. These horrible things are on us to break us. But God takes the, every evil thing the devil would ever throw at, at us and he turns it to our good. And he takes that horrible thing and he just presses us deeper, deeper, deeper down into himself. And we come out of that place. In resurrection. Resurrected. And more powerful than ever before. And actually, the devil was just trying to crush Paul and get him to move off the stage. Give up. Don't do this. Surrender. Get off the stage. But let me give you the RIV. Listen to this. We would not, brothers, have you ignorant of the horribly tight, life-threatening squeeze that came to us in Asia. With all the things we've been through, this was the worst of all. It felt like our lives were being crushed. No experience we've ever been through required so much of us. In fact... We didn't have enough strength to cope with it, and we were nearly crushed by the experience. Toward the ends of this ordeal, we were so overwhelmed that we didn't think we'd ever get out. We felt suffocated, trapped, pinned against the wall. We really thought it was the end of the road for us. As far as we were concerned, the verdict was in, and the verdict said death. But really, this was no great shock because we were already feeling the effect of death in our souls. But like Denise said, they refused to budge. They were going to maintain their assignment and their territory. They were going to endure. And God comes to those who have made a decision. 
they're not going to move off the stage. And Rick, in that enduring comes the power of God. Amen. Resurrection power. So if you need resurrection power, that's what you're going to get. But it doesn't come to those who just give up and walk away. Mm -mm. It comes to those who've stayed on spot. They've stayed on assignment. You know, some people say, oh, I want to experience the power of God. Well, the Apostle Paul says he wants to know the power of God and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sometimes you got to suffer to stay in your spot. But if you'll stay in your spot, you will know the power of God. You're sure you want to know the power of God? If you'll stay on the stage and do what God has told you to do and put up with all the flack and life that comes against you, you will know the power of God because it will come, it will sustain you, and you will do what God told you to do. Maxine? Uh, you were saying that, uh, it's so, actually I was sitting here and thinking, this is so sad that when God tells you to do something, we have the devil who's against us, uh, unsaved people can be against us, and it's so sad when Christians turn against you and they become critical of you. And uh, especially it's sad when God is telling you, for example, to start a church in a different city and you come there and not just Christians, other pastors turn, turn against you. Sometimes that happens. And it's, it's so sad and it's heartbreaking. And I was sitting here and I think God is reminding me something you did. You were talking about encouraging each other. I'm not going to give the name of this church when there was a church, there was a church, uh, there was a serious Christian organization when they decided to start a church in Moscow. And they made that announcement. And when they came, you did something that shocked me. Instead of being critical of them, you bought something for them they needed. Actually, we paid their rent for the first three months. I was so shocked by it because usually pastors get insecure. You know, oh, you're coming to my city to start a church. What if you take my people? And you encouraged them in a great way. You paid the rent. You bought them a huge screen. So forgot about that. You really encouraged them. So. Well, you know what? I've been on the stage of faith. I know what it's like. And but thank you, Maxine. When somebody else gets on the stage of faith, we need to do all we can to say amen. And there's never enough churches. Amen. Hey, we're out of time, but tomorrow night, guess what we're going to find out? We're going to find out that if you'll stay on spot, if you'll stay on the stage, and if you give a good performance, in the end of the show, your faith will bring you applause. It's going to be really good tomorrow night. So we'll see you tomorrow night, but go to bed and sleep well. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.